0: I'm Casey Bell from the Google Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Lee Matthew Goldberg. He's the author of the novels The Desire Card, The Mentor, Slow Down, and now The Ancestor. Listen to this. A man wakes up in present-day Alaskan wilderness with no idea who he is. Nothing on him save an empty journal with a date, 1898, and a mirror. I love this book. It's a thriller, great characters, awesome story. Had so much fun talking with Lee Matthew, and I think you will enjoy this too. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. Enjoy. Lee Matthew Goldberg is the author of the novels The Desire Card, The Mentor, Slow Down, and now The Ancestor. He has been published in multiple languages and nominated for the 2018 Prix du Polar. He is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Fringe, dedicated to publishing fiction that's outside of the box. His pilots and screenplays have been finalists in Script Pipeline, Book Pipeline, Stage 32, We Screenplay, the New York Screenplay, ScreenCraft, and the Hollywood Screenplay Contest. After graduating with an MFA from the new school, his writing has also appeared in the anthology Dirty Boulevard, The, the Millions, *Kajibi*, The Montreal Re- Review, The Adirondack Review, The New Plains Review, Underwood Press, and others. He is the co-curator uh, of the guerrilla lit reading series and lives in New York City. Today we're focused on Lee's most recent thriller, The Ancestor. Here's a little about The Ancestor. A man wakes up in present-day Alaskan wilderness with no idea who he is. Nothing on him save an empty journal with the date 1898 and a mirror. He sees another man hunting nearby, astounded that they look exactly alike except for his own beard. After following this other man home, he witnesses a wife and child that brings forth a rush of memories of his own wife and child, except he's certain they do not exist in modern times. Uh, But from his life in the late 1800s, after recalling his name as Wyatt, he worms his way into his doppelganger, Travis Barlow's life. Memories become unearthed the more time he spends, making him believe that he'd been frozen after coming to Alaska during the gold rush and that Travis is his great, great grandson. Wyatt is certain gold still exists in the area and finding it with Travis will ingratiate himself to the family, especially with Travis's wife, Callie, once Wyatt falls in love. This turns into a dangerous obsession affecting the Barlows and everyone in their small town since Wyatt can't be tamed until he also discovers the meaning of why he was able to be preserved on ice for over a century. Lee, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, um, and
1: thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Um, I'm very excited to do this today.
0: Well, i'm glad you're here and first of all just with that description alone now, now i've read your book and there's there's a there's a little creep factor going on here there's a little right. like a little bit of sci-fi there's literally history and mm-hmm. uh even in even a little bit of the wilderness and the ecology type thing happening mm-hmm. so Definitely. a lot go, going on which is really cool so uh um, but before we delve into the ancestor your newest novel let's talk about something that i read in your bio It says he is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Fringe, dedicated to publishing fiction that's outside of the box. Tell us about the Fringe.
1: Sure. So originally, Fringe was supposed to launch this summer. um, And due to COVID, um, I've moved the launch to summer 2021. Um, So we still have a little time to kind of fix the nuts and bolts of it. Um, But basically, um, it's going to be a small press that is, um, like it says, it's dedicated to publishing books outside of the box So I really want the books that maybe one of the big fives is afraid of publishing for whatever reason, they don't know how they would market it, Um, and my job would be to market it as as well as possible. Um, And the other exciting thing about it, we're partnering with um, these Hollywood guys at Script Pipeline, um, which is a screenplay competition series, and they'll have a fringe category every year um, in, in their competition, and the winner of their category um, will be published by us and in addition all the books that we publish will be fed through their pipeline hopefully to producers and development execs um, so my real goal with it is that every book we publish has some shot at making it into either a film or a tv series um, and and becomes bigger than just a novel
0: excellent i appreciate you sharing and good luck with that
1: I was all ready to go, and then um we pulled the plug in march uh and i th- I think it's a it, it it was a better choice it'll be it'll be um much more formed a, a year from now
0: uh, I think it's a good choice you got uh, and you won't have all the uh, the kind of things that interfere so exactly. yeah <laughs> so good stuff well, good luck with that that's cool Thank the- you thank you. Uh, so let's shift to the ancestor you've written a thriller that touches history and and you have other books that you've written but uh you've even described to me this a little different and so we're gonna get in there uh talk about it some um this this book touches history the gold rush of 1898 to be exact and the cool you know and the real cool wildness of a really awesome place alaska you know why'd you use these as a setting and backdrop for your story
1: well i mean first of all the the story is about a man who believes he becomes suspended on ice for 120 years. So I needed a cold locale, basically. Um, And here in the US, nothing's a better cold uh, location than Alaska. And there's a remoteness and an isolation to Alaska that really kind of feeds into a lot of the characters journeys, especially the main character as well. Um, He feels very sort of lost and isolated because of the amnesia that he has and searching for who he was. Um, And there's an element of remoteness about Alaska, people sort of fleeing to the edge of the world, fleeing sort of their past um, and establishing or reestablishing themselves in a place like that. Um, So it really was sort of perfect. And there's also some mystique to it as well that I felt really fit with the sci-fi kind of angle of, of the book as well.
0: That's cool. It, it really does. And ha- having, I've actually fished on a river in Alaska for oh, salmon. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you went into an area for five days where you're out in nowhere. The way you got to it was by a float plane. It took you in, you land on the river. They met you with these boats. Then they took you down upriver to go to these, this camp where you slept mm-hmm. in tents and stuff. And, and so, you know, no Wi Fi, no, uh, no internet, no, uh, um, and power was generated. Oh wow! Uh, from generator with gas, and so it was just you and the people running the fish camp on the river, and it was the coolest thing because talk about isolation—you're in the middle of yeah. nowhere, and never—it's—it's it's weird to say, but having never been where people aren't it's mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of a cool thing.
1: And yeah, I mean, I'm from New York City. I live in Midtown, so it's <laughs> the complete opposite of my normal life. <laughs> right, I'm surrounded by people constantly. Um, so yeah, the the idea of sort of having a place. You know, no Wi-Fi, no sort of connection to the outside world, and especially the town that the book takes place in, which is made up, um, Lainer, Alaska, which probably the closest touch point would be Nome. Um, and Nome is a city that, that's quite isolated as well. If you want to go to Nome, you really have to want to go to Nome. It doesn't, it's not like you could just hop on a plane and you're right there. Um, there. There's many sort of, you know, stops along the way. Um, so that, that really worked for the book as well, that um, the people there are, are, it's almost a chosen isolation.
0: That's pretty. It most definitely is definitely a chosen isolation, and I can tell you there's there's some coolness to it, and there's also some interesting spookiness about it. Because when you're when you're out there, and then you realize, you know, when you, know, you you see signs of bear, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> like carcasses of fish or where they've they scratch their territory into the tree type thing, or or you see, uh, um, you, you start realizing that uh, you know, in the middle of the tundra, you're surrounded by all these wild blueberries,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, I actually asked our the person who ran the camp i said isn't that something bears eat
1: (laughs) oh you don't want to hear that (laughs) yeah
0: he said yeah actually it is but the good thing is they got enough stuff over away from us
1: (laughs) they'll stay away for for as long as you're there
0: (laughs) yeah exactly it's good let's yeah let's let's get out of the blueberries all right anyway um you know did something inspire you to write the ancestor
1: yeah i mean um a lot of things. I had heard a song by this great band, Darling Darlingside, um, and it's called The Ancestor. And the first line uh, of the song is, Gone, bury me. Um, and all of a sudden, I sort of imagined um, this man buried in ice. And um, then what if it was for potentially 120 years? And that there's something inside of him or in his lineage in his ancestry that allows him to have the ability to be frozen in time. And then the whole book kind of started to download from that. Um, When I started to write it, um, uh, it was a very sort of sad time in my life. My father passed away. Um, So the book really became uh, a therapy of sorts to deal with that. And death is a huge part of the novel. It's something that I don't know if I would have had the capabilities to write had I not gone through that recent experience of um, my father. Um, so he's very infused in the book, even though the book isn't about him. Um, but death is a huge part of it and sort of, I mean, especially because the narrator should have been dead 120 years ago and somehow, you know, um, mystified the, you know, logic and and, and managed to survive. Um, so all of these sort of influences kind of mush
0: together uh, for the ancestor. Well, I'm sorry about your father, Patrick. Thank you. The uh it was a sad times. I've lost mine as well, and it's oh, and, I, and I can only imagine. You know, one of the things that uh, really kind of plays into this thought is that you know, I've always thought it'd be cool to to be able to have a conversation with mm-hmm. you know your great grandfather or you know yeah, your, yeah. or to be able to have that talk again with your father about something or but especially like and there's this there's a scene in your book where you know he he's trying to convince the the grandfather, you know that he's mm-hmm. that he's actually his grandson. You know, yeah. he is his grandfather, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah.
1: it, it definitely <laughs> gets a little confusing. Um, but um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, one of the hardest things I think in life is when we lose somebody, and the knowledge that you know you're never going to have a chance to speak to that person again. And um, what I do love about the book is that it 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 connects these people who really should only probably. You know, share a spot next to each other in a graveyard um, where um, a great-great-grandfather and um, his great-great-grandson um, become sort of the best of friends until things start to turn, you know, for the worst. Um, but initially, there's the, a real sort of love and connection be- between, the, between the two, um, and it's really the shared, you know, familial traits and history that, that the two have.
0: It's it's just a wild thought because as a I'm a former history teacher and yeah. yeah and I love the time frame which you've chosen in the wilderness and all that sort That's of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I love about that era is it's sort of right before modern society, so we're we're pre-cars um, and what's so fascinating, especially about the Alaskan Gold Rush, you know, it, it was kind of on the heels of the Wild Wild West, so you had a lot of these men who. Um, now we're middle aged who survived the wild, wild west and still like hungry for adventure um, and, and, and sought out sort of gold uh, because of that um, and it, it, comparatively to the California gold rush, I mean, it was very, very perilous because you're really going into terrain um, where many didn't make it out alive simply because of the, you know, the, the cold. Um, so it adds this element of kind of adventure and danger to it that was, was really cool to do the research.
0: That's and it's so cool. And I, you know, and I got to ask you, since you brought that you know, when you researched or prepared to write, I mean, what'd yes. you learn about the people who, who just really left behind their families to go on these journeys in, sure. in the hopes of finding gold?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, some were, were, were like I said, you know, uh, kind of um, relics from the Wild Wild West. Um, and there's a few characters that um, in, in the long section where um, my main character remembers or journals, basically his time in the Alaskan gold rush. And he encounters a lot of these sort of men. Like there was a man who was based on a real character. His name is Soapy. Um, and he used to pretend to put a, a dollar in a soap uh, and, and like a snake oil salesman get people to pay him a dollar potentially to get the money back. And there was never a dollar in the soap and he would just go from town to town to town. So it, it, it was all these kind of like kind of crazy out there characters that 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 sought it as well. But generally, there also was people who really, you know, like my main character um, needed it to house and feed his family. So the idea and the aspiration for gold was really sort of a lifesaver. I'm worth potentially dying um, if, if that could give his family sort of a better life. And in the book, his son is is quite sick. They don't know sort of what it is. The sun runs very cold um, and, you know, prior to modern uh, medicine, um, that was sort of the only explanation. So um, a real reason that he goes to, to the gold rush is to have enough money to get a better doctor to potentially cure his child of whatever is ailing him. So it, it really was a lot of these people who just were seeking some type of betterment for their life and their family.
0: I can't, I cannot imagine
1: um, no. <laughs>
0: that that it in itself, because you go out there and it's quite possible you're going to die at the hands of, uh, uh, of another human. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh yeah. No, that, that, especially because, um, and you know, it happens in the book as well. Um, there's, there's people who know who the better sort of prospector is and want to get rid of them. Uh, so they have a better standing. There's only so much gold. And if too many people go after it, it's going to be less for one person. Um, so there definitely was sort of a cutthroat mentality. Um, even more so, I think, I mean, I didn't do too much research of the California gold rush, but I think it was even way more cutthroat because the stakes were that much higher.
0: I can only imagine. I mean, I just, and you know, there's, there's this whole thing about being on your own. Cause, you know, cause if you start trying to trust somebody, I, I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine this thought process. Cause it's one thing to go from one place to another. Like if I, in this modern day, if I decided for some strange reason that I wanted to live in midtown New York or yeah. <laughs> in Manhattan, that's going to be an interesting adventure for me. Cause
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now it's different. Yeah. Yes.
0: It's so different now, but it, you yeah, know, that's the, it, minus grizzly bear and uh, you know, it's got its own little things that I have to worry about. But at the same time, I got a little bit to try and find comfort in and connecting with. And I just can't imagine the idea of completely separating yourself and then trying to, you know, to find that gold, to help make your life better or whatever.
1: Yeah. So. And here we're in the 1890s, there's no cell phones, obviously. There's, right. You know, so, I mean, for, for the main character, um, he doesn't even have a chance to get a letter back to his wife and family because they, they don't even get a chance to go to a post office. Or when they do, you know, something actually happens and he's unable to. Um, so in, in terms of, of, of their mindset, he's dead, basically, like they have not heard from him. There's no chance for him coming back. And, and then the reality is like, you know, he'll outlive them because he'll be suspended on ice. If you believe that. The, the book I leave sort of open, um, it, it depends how you take it as a reader. I think it's more interesting to take it as, as fact, but it, if 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 that's not like a reader's bag, and, and they just want to think he's crazy, I'm okay with that. If that's how it's read
0: as well, and I got to tell you, that's something cool that you do there, because it's kind of like yeah. okay, because you, you start asking yourself, or at least I start asking myself uh, this question: which which planet am I on here? Is he right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, definitely for you know a good chunk of it, I I, I like to have it sort of up in the air. Um, and I think sometimes it's unfair for an author to be like, this is how you're supposed to read my book. Um, you know, it, it, it's all about perspective. Um, and I think for some people, it's harder to go into like a sci-fi supernatural route if they're not comfortable with that in, in their normal reading. Um, so even for people that, that, that don't like that, I think that they could still get a lot out of the book, even if they don't read it sort of um, as, as sci-fi.
0: Well, it's cool because it could actually be just a, a person who's lost their mind telling you the story.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think that's that's a, a separately interesting sort of sort of tale. Um. And, and that way the, there becomes like a uh, you know a dialogue about it in, in terms of different ways. And I've had people read it in sort of very different ways. We initially had um a, a very uh, a Christian publisher that was interested and read it really as like a parable. Um. That was not my intention. Um i'm lee matthew goldberg so i i wasn't writing a christian parable um but look if somebody takes that out of it um and 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 that's what they connect to then that's great you know i i'm, I'm a fan of how anybody interprets a book
0: and that's cool because it's you know it's like you said it's it's rough when you know the the writer is dictating to you
1: yeah everything I think it's more fun you know it, uh, yeah. The, the fun is, you know, the, what's so great about a book is the book becomes yours. Somebody writes it and then it's your book and, and it's your interpretation. It's your own in life experiences and what you put into that book as you read it.
0: That's so cool. I, I, th- I think it's neat that you did that. So <laughs> I, I just want to say kudos about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the things you're, you're touching on this a lot here, your book explores a number of complex I- issues surrounding our mm-hmm. sense of self and identity. Could you just talk a little bit about where you're going with this?
1: Sure. I mean, on, on a very surface level, you have a man who, you know, wakes up in the Alaskan wilderness with amnesia. So, you know, the core of the book is about, you know, who is he? Um, and as um, memories start to come back a little bit, um, the real question is, you know, are we sort of a composite of our past and our memories, you know, or um, do we become sort of something else? So for him, he's becoming this new being, you know, in you know, 2020. Um, but so much of his makeup is also from the 1890s. So it really sort of, you know, messes with his identity and who he is. Um, And I think a lot of the other characters are sort of questioning sort of who they are. You know, you have um, his great-great-grandson, Travis, who, you know, wants to open a fish shack, um, but the money isn't there. Um, And his wife, Callie, who's from California, um, who kind of has just been plucked you know, plucked into this Alaskan world and feels very out of place and is sort of questioning who she is as well. Um, so a, a lot of these characters are sort of in a free fall in terms of um, who they really are. And, and the book sort of discovers ultimately some successfully and some not so successfully by the end.
0: And I just, I just love that because there's a, there's a lot of uh, depth to the different characters. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is what makes that happen is this idea that they're yeah, there's a lot going on in their worlds and you kind of touch on a little bit of all that and
1: yeah i mean i had a teacher once uh, very early on in in writing who was like you have to write flat and round characters meaning round characters are your sort of main characters and the flat characters are those supporting characters and um i don't know i i don't i don't sort of agree with that i feel like every every character should be round in some form so even the characters with very small roles I, I, I gave backstories and have sort of a purpose and an arc from start to finish in, in this book and um, I, I've had a lot of people comment even on some of the the lesser characters and that that was a character that they really connected to um, and and I, I really like that in the book that there's enough people to sort of align with
0: that's cool it's very cool otherwise you end up with it I don't know I don't know your age but uh, I'm a'm am a, I'm a- <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, the original Star Trek series. And yeah. uh, if you have the round and the flat, you end up with the red shirts who uh, if there's a red shirt going down to the planet, they're not coming back.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you can <laughs> telegraph who's dying. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> this one, you know, not everybody makes it out of this book alive. Um, and I don't think you see all the deaths
0: coming definitely
1: some may don't <laughs> some, some not and I think some people that live are surprising too.
0: yeah you, you're right on the money there. You, 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 yeah. you, you, I, I don't
1: want to give too, too much away but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think some are, some are a big surprise and I like that as well. and when I was um, I'm, a, I, I'm moving in a very screenwriting direction as well in, in my career so um, I always had sort of aspirations for this as a TV series and I wrote it as a pilot as well. Um, that some things some little things are bubbling right now about it um, so we'll see if that actually um, winds up going forward uh, so I always thought of it as, as a tv series and, and you know in a tv series your sub characters um, over many seasons actually really have you know like a full sort of story to them um, so I think that helped a lot in terms of shaping this book
0: too that's awesome I, I wish you luck with that that's cool That Thank you. Uh, and, and I, I could, could-
1: About two weeks ago related to it um so we'll see we'll we'll see if that winds up translating you never know but um it's better than not
0: it's better not yes and this would be cool i could see this as a tv series especially one that
1: Uh, yeah the goal would be like a netflix so
0: you know nice oh excellent that uh all right so i I will be binge watching if you're there There I love it. I love it. That I could see this working. That's awesome. The uh, you know, um what one of the th- things that uh, um I want to make sure that uh, we talked about is that along with these unique things and I think this all fits into what you said earlier where you talked about as an author not telling the writer uh, the reader mm-hmm. how to read it, how to, how to interpret it just like, you know, <laughs> the different deaths and the different things going on. Well, one of the other things that you have is a unique villain in that, you know, yes. and he's unique and the character is unique. And that at some point the reader's probably going to feel sorry for the character. Could you <laughs> shed some light on this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it goes along with sort of what I was saying before. I'm, I'm heavily influenced by television. Um, and over the last, I would say, you know, decade, decade and a half, the idea of the antihero has become sort of the biggest trope in television. From Mad Men to The Sopranos to Game of Thrones. You you have all these people who you sort of love to hate a little bit. Um, and my main character, Wyatt, is is sort of a perfect example. I think you really love him at the beginning because you feel for him and you feel his, you know, his tragedy and what he's going through. Um, and that really was what what I needed so that when things get a little sort of dicey in, in terms of his his own character and he does some things that maybe you don't like you still empathize um, and you understand why he does the things that he does. Uh, and all of my books really deal with like anti-heroes from, from my debut to this one. Uh, sometimes there are a lot of people you love to hate and I like finding sort of the good qualities and sometimes bad people. Um, but, but, but Wyatt is, is at his core a good person. He just does bad things um, because he, he almost has no other choice.
0: It's very cool. And you're right. There are, you know, without going too much into it, there are these choices and such that, you know,
1: (laughs) he always thinks he's doing the right thing. Um, And I, that's, you know, I mean, I I think a sociopath could say the same thing, Um, but (laughs) I, I I don't think he is. I I think he's, he's just a man who's been so stripped down um, and so loves his family and everything he does is for his family you know, from, from back in the 1890s and and to find a way to get back to them in some way, shape or form.
0: Very cool. I, I, I love your description of that. And it's, it's okay. just, it's just neat. Cause I, you know um, for the listeners, you gotta, you gotta read the ancestor. I mean, this is, this is cool. Yeah. It, it's exciting. <laughs> and I, um, you know, just from the very beginning, one of the things I want to point out is that you've, you start connecting with him, you know, yeah. and, and just, just, in that connection this was really cool so uh um so you know what uh, let's shift a little bit to writing for just a minute Sure. so I gotta ask you this question because I like I I like finding out with authors because you know having having been a high school history teacher you know I had colleagues who were English teachers who lived and died by the outline (laughs) yeah so do do you outline or do you just kind of start and go and see where your mind takes you
1: I I do um my first book slow down that I wrote um, had no outline and it took me years to write it um, and ever since then all my books that I've published uh, all have full full outlines I, I almost write them as as like a in like a script way like a movie kind of sense um, so I'll document each chapter and I'll have just a couple sentences this is the main beats that are happening in this chapter. And that way, when I sit down, it doesn't feel like a blank screen. It feels like I have a purpose each day when I'm writing, and I'm not hunting for what I'm doing. Um, But in addition to that, I always allow any changes. Um, You know, a novel kind of becomes its own beast as you write it, and you have to allow it to um, move in any direction that it intends to. So usually what winds up happening about halfway to two-thirds into the outline is the end kind of takes its own shape and becomes its own thing and, and it happened with the ancestor where maybe like the last i don't know 10 to 15 chapters um deviated from the outline a, a lot and i i, I like that i sort of allowed it to to go in whatever direction felt natural and not sort of scripted
0: very cool i love it i love that you know and you know we started talking about this as well because i you've got cool characters. I mean, you, you really do. You start, you f- start discovering that you feel for them. You, you uh, kind of understand where they're going and there's any number of emotions that you're going to have tied yeah. into these characters. So yeah, how do you create and develop them? Do you, I mean, do, do you have a specific path that you follow or
1: um, usually I, so I, I, I said, you know, I heard the song the ancestor and the book kind of downloaded from there and then it was about two years as it marinated in my head. So when, when you do that, the characters kind of become living and breathing and they become real people. It's very hard for me to just come up with an idea and then sit down and then all of a sudden I'm writing it. I feel like I need to know these people somewhat. Um, the, their good qualities, their bad qualities, their faults, their successes. Um, so th- that was a huge part of the Ancestor too. Um, it really sort of um, stayed on ice in my head for, for a while nice. um, before I allowed it to really kind of thaw. Um, and, and I think that's why the characters are, 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 quite rich in it because they, they became really alive.
0: They really do. I mean, just, the, they're excellent. And I, even the names, um, uh, fit really well, I think with <laughs> where the, where it's taken place and, uh, the, you know, from the past to the present and just, uh, I think you're naming Northville. Um, Thank you. Really yeah. Well, I, I often like to use sort of not out there names, but names
1: that aren't as as common. So it really identifies with the characters. So the main character is Wyatt. You know, it, it really is a name of your, although it's become, I think, popular again with like little kids. Um, and then like, well, Travis is kind of a normal name, but his wife, Callie, that, that's somewhat of a, of, of a not, um, you know, um, like, mary jennifer sarah kind of name. yeah
0: right no that's cool the uh so you know one of the things that i i love is the imagery that you create it, it helps me paint pictures of what you're describing in your thriller and and i want to read a couple of those like from early on there's um this one but the reality of the wolf's growl tells a different story one filled with its pack circling around their prey four of them teeth bared impossible to fight all the in near he swears he'll go out swinging. I love that. It's like, he's surrounded by a bunch of wolves and he's thinking about, I'm going to take them down, man. Yeah, Well, that's really the first instance where he's like, okay, there's some, it's really his first
1: memory almost where it's like, I have the ability to take down a wolf, um, you know, which means that he has survival skills and he's somebody, you know? um, So I think that's a big moment for him.
0: It's very cool and it just it just really kind of sucked me in because that's early on in the in the book and it's yeah. like okay now this is really cool and I, I left out the part before that that's <laughs> that's even that uh, really gets you into that the uh, here's another one the the ship dips again and nearly flings him over I do what must be done and help him along he spins over the edge with a flip and flops into the water a dark circle forming around the body before it's swallowed entirely by the night I cannot see him anymore convincing myself it was all just a horrible dream there's a little blood on the deck but i smear it with my boot until it's camouflaged into the wood nice i, mean,
1: I haven't heard that one read out loud yet so yeah know that, that that's that that's cool, cool. that's <laughs> thank you um the uh, and then
0: and and then i want to get to this one because this is uh, um one that really sticks in my mind i i wrote this down as soon as i i actually had to shorten it a little bit because i like the whole section but uh um it was one i wanted to remember Wyatt waits until the hallway lights snap off. He'd stayed close enough to hear Papa Clifford's prognosis and watch Trav and Stu retire to the waiting area. He timed how often the nurse checked on Papa every hour on the half hour. He makes sure Travis and Stu are sound asleep. And once the nurse goes to check on another patient, he tiptoes inside Papa's room and closes the door. I love that. (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just ominous big time yeah talk a little bit about why imagery is so important to your story and and making it happen and the thrilling aspect of it itself because you got you use words and pictures and i mean we got all kinds of stuff happening here and yeah yeah
1: i i i really like to sort of do the work almost for the readers where everything is very vivid so you're almost reading it like it's a film um and and the image is already there for you um, sometimes I find it hard to read books where it, it, it's very sort of esoteric and you can't quite imagine what's happening. Um, so I, I, I really like to do that, that work for, for my readers. Um, and I mean, especially this book where, um, you know, the, the terrain is so rich for description. Um, it was really a pleasure to be able to describe sort of that. And I, I wrote it during the winter time, So I was immersed. It was a very cold winter in New York City that winter. Nice. Uh, so every day was below freezing and 15, 20 degrees randomly. So it fit with, with the book. So I really felt sort of the descriptions and I was able to kind of channel that to um, this Alaskan world.
0: Very cool. And you channeled it well.
1: Very Thank much so. Very much so,
0: the uh, yeah, there's a cool creepiness in this story, um, so hopefully it's okay to say that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I write thrillers predominantly, so I'm going for that. Yeah, you know? nice. Um, so I'm glad that that was something that you took away from it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's creepy in parts, um, but I, I w- what I love about this book even more so than my other ones is that. It's it's so many different things, you know. It's it's thriller. It's historical. It's literary. It's it's sci-fi. It's emotional. Um, it's sad. It's scary. It's funny in parts. Um, so you know, it's kind of like life in a nutshell. It just you know puts you on like a roller coaster, I think, you know, from start to finish.
0: Yeah, it does. It does. I like that because that's it's neat to you know you f- you feel that that and I think that's part of what makes you feel for the characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because uh, you know some of the stuff you kind of have been there, <laughs> maybe not in their exact situation, but
1: right, right, in some form.
0: Yeah. The uh, you know, um, what I'd like you to do is you know we're getting close to clo- we're getting close to the end, and and I want to share a little bit about your story that'll make listeners want to go get a copy now.
1: Um, yeah. So like I said before, I mean, if you if you love a thriller, it's a perfect thriller. If you like historical, uh, a good chunk of it takes place, like we talked about, in the eighteen nineties. Um, So you could learn a lot historically from the book. Um, I I think it's very literary as well. Um, And in addition, anybody who loves sci-fi, you know, it it, it sort of touches on this little otherworldly kind of aspect to it as well. So I I think it's the kind of book really, you know, for for anybody um, that that just loves a great book. Um, And uh, I'll I'll be happy with anybody that picks it up and, and takes whatever they take out of it.
0: Excellent. I love it. And uh, I got to tell you, I've read it. You got to read it. It's good. Thank you. They, uh, you know, um, Lee, before we go, I mean, you've, yeah. you've got these other books. I mean, uh, do you have, would you like to share anything about your other books or one that's on the way?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I have three other novels, um, Slow Down, The Mentor, and The Desire Card. Um, Slow Down was my first book, and my current publisher actually just did a reissue of it in May. So the book kind of came out again and is having a second life. Um, and it's, re- it's about this guy who um, really wants to make it in Hollywood and will do anything to make it and really does some kind of awful, terrible things to kind of claw ahead um, and sort of the people that, that surround him uh, that he uses to, to accelerate his journey. Um, and then in May, I'm, I'm sorry, in next March, I have a new book coming out uh, called Orange City, which is a, a complete sci-fi novel. Um, so I'm, I'm moving in that direction for just a little bit uh, and it's a basically it's it's a very hard book to describe So I'm kind of working the pitch a little bit, um, but it's about a, um, a hidden city that may exist in this world and may not and um, People that are sort of plucked to live in the city uh, to kind of um, Give them a second chance at life, but you can never leave the city. You're you're stuck there forever um and sort of this weird cast of, of people that, that that surround it um but i need to i need to get a little bit of a better pitch with that one I'll, i'm still working on it um cool. but iron yeah, city comes out in, in in mid-march
0: excellent excellent that's all cool. looking forward to those coming out and uh wish you well with all of them and uh, they uh um if someone wanted to connect further with you find out more information about what you got going uh, where would you send them
1: uh, so the best is my website, which is just my name, LeeMatthewGoldberg.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Lee Matthew Goldberg. Uh, you can Find me on Facebook and on Twitter, um, G, because my full name wouldn't fit as a handle. Um, so you can find me in all those places. Um, and I love to hear from, from readers. So I'm, I'm pretty good at responding.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And I'll have those in the show notes. So um, anybody listening, they will be in my show notes. You'll be able to go back there and find them. Uh, you know, one of the things that I want to want to do uh, is I got last two questions. And, uh, and uh, before I say this, I got to, um, did you, did you grow up in New York or did you? Yeah, yeah did? I'm,
1: a, I'm a native. So I grew up literally a mile downtown third Avenue from where I live now.
0: Oh, cool. Very cool. I had,
1: I, I've seen it morph and changed and become a million different things. Yeah.
0: I can imagine. I have, uh, um, you know, in, in, when I was young and married, um, ended up, always wanted to go to New York City, Manhattan, and go visit it and got a chance to. My wife and I went and visited a couple of times. Nice. And it was cool. And one of the things, though, I got to tell you, because, you know, you're talking about writing screenplays and stuff like this. So, you know, there's so many movies and so many shows that at some point they deal with some aspect of Manhattan and things like this. And I got to tell you, one of the things I thought was so cool was, number one, um, a lot of people talk about how rude I've never had anybody rude. Matter of fact, when they, they saw you kind of find your way around, they yeah. helped you.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a complete, New York people are busy. So I think some people mistake that as rudeness, but, um, if anybody ever asked anybody for directions, New Yorkers are happy to like, you know, tell them exactly where to go because it's a big city and it's not that easy to sometimes find a place, you know, and the trains and everything. So yeah, no New Yorkers, we're not rude. We're just busy.
0: Just busy. I like that. That's, and I I experienced that. It was funny. I wasn't even asking for help. And someone came up and said, you look a little lost. Where are you trying to go? And boom, they got me right on the right path. So we were off the beaten path. But the other thing that I always wanted to experience was the parade and for Thanksgiving, got to do that. Finally had sons who marched in it with our high school band a couple, bunch of years ago. And that was really cool. But I got to see one of the things I always wanted to see, which is I'm like, I was a little disappointed at first because all the, all the New York city police officers None of them sounded like, I don't know what, whether it's a Bronx or a Queens accent, whatever uh,
1: it is. Yeah, New York, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm like, there's got to be a police officer around here who speaks. And then suddenly, and then the best one, it, it, he was trying to tell a guy who was dressed like a turkey <laughs> <laughs> that, that he had to take down this. He had created this big, almost like a tent <laughs> on oh. the side and with a cooker inside and all that. And so there's this surreal situation where a police officer had that awesome accent that you just did. <laughs> was, New York. Yeah. Yes, who's telling this giant turkey that you have to put down pull down the tent. So Hello. I probably had that experience.
1: Yeah, no, nothing's better than like a good New York accent, whether hey. it's like you know, Brooklyn or Queens or Staten Island. But you don't hear it as much as you used to. Like you used to I, when, as a kid I would hear it all the time and, and I, I really don't hear it. And with me it comes out only sometimes, you know, like in, in certain words. Um, or maybe if I've had a couple of
0: drinks, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, thanks for letting me go down that path. <laughs> of course, yeah. The, uh, um, so last two questions I got for you. And sure. the f- first one goes like this, when things get difficult or there are too many issues all coming at once and you want to quit, how do you overcome those feelings and keep going?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very relatable question for literally every single person on the planet right now um things are very overwhelming and so much is happening right now and we have no answers and you know I think you just have to take one thing at a time so like you know focus on whatever problem is the most pressing focus on that one and try to balance that with something I don't know really great in your life as well so it's not just you know bad noise and you know we're we're, we're about to hit election season and there's so much just bad noise um, and you, you have to find ways of just balance and whatever it is to just like center yourself. Um, so that's, it's the best advice I can give right now. You know, just hang on. We'll get through this. We'll get
0: through it. Excellent advice. I love it. And it's so right there. I appreciate it. The, uh, you know, um, last one, mm-hmm. do you have a teacher in your past? who made a difference in your life. If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you?
1: Well, I've already said thank you to him a billion times, but I'm going to say it again because he was absolutely the best. So, um, My high school uh, teacher, John Byrne, um, at Friends Seminary, he's still there now, Um, he had a class in 12th grade, uh, where literally we just were able to write a novel. That was the class. Um, And I wrote a really, really weird, weird, weird (laughs) book. Um, And throughout the summer, he would read chapters after I graduated and give me notes on it. And he was like, you actually have talent for this to be your career uh in in some words he i don't remember the exact words but in in some words he said that um and it was the first time i felt like i was really be taken seriously uh and when my second book came out the mentor um i did an event at my school and he hosted it and nice. he did A Q&A session um and it was it was just great because he's the best so yeah shout out to john byrne friend seminary
0: very cool uh, Lee Matthew, this is thank you so much i I've enjoyed talking with you today. The is awesome, okay I, I love thrillers, and this is thrilling and it's, it's got all kinds of great stuff in it and and uh, listeners, you're going to love it, and nobody's paid me to say this by the way, so uh, <laughs> and,
1: right. oh, I like to hear that. and I hope that it
0: it uh, works out where you end up with the, uh, it being accepted as a screenplay turned into a TV show or something. so good luck with that direction and
1: all fingers crossed
0: it, it It's going to happen. it's going to happen and
1: uh, I, I, I think so.
0: So. That'd be so cool. And, uh, and, and good luck with your latest work you got going on. I, you know, I, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's been awesome talking with you and I wish you the best in all you do.
1: Thank you. You too, Steven. Thank you so much for having me and, and to all the listeners out there, um, for listening.
0: Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network.